We've spent the last nine weeks studying Christianity and culture from the very basics of defining what culture is to understanding multiple paradigms through which we can effectively engage the culture from a Christian world and life view. As we near the end of our study, we'll take a deep dive into Tim Keller's four cultural camps and tackle the questions, which one does the Bible teach? And most importantly, what do I believe? And now, here's Ike. So we've got our final two weeks that we want to make sure we've got wrapped out. We're on our last few slides here, actually. And I want to do a couple of things that get you guys engaged a little bit more. So we're going to review this really quickly. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do this, review this really quickly. And then you're going to get a small group exercise. When was the last time you did a small group exercise in Sunday school? When Chuck taught, he would stand up every time and go, Here's a couple of questions, get in a group, discuss, and we'll come back together. That was every Sunday. No, I'm just kidding, which is great, by the way. And, and in fact, I was just, I did a thing for teachers for Sunday school for Ray Tucker on Friday night or Thursday night, and we had a great time. And we actually were saying, yeah, all of us, myself included, we definitely need to bring more learning styles and discussion opportunities into the Sunday school classroom uh, in, in relevant and um, transformational ways. That was a joke. That nobody, did anybody get that? Nobody was looking up here and saw that? Whatever. All right. So really quick, let's review what the transformationalist, the relevant, the countercultural, and the two kingdoms are. And we're going to read through the big definitions one more time, but then I'm going to flip forward. And I told you guys, we're going to, we're going to, we, we started with the big Niebuhr uh, model that was, um, you know, Christ above culture, Christ against culture, Christ within culture. Christ, you know, all those things. And that's not the St. Patrick's breastplate, for those that are familiar with that prayer, with, you know, Christ above, Christ below, Christ, which is which I, I like to call the St. Prepositional prayer. Um, <laughs> man, it's back to school and nobody's getting these educational jokes that I'm making. That's, you've ever, you remember when they taught you how to do prepositions and it was, you know, above the house, below the house, in, in the house. That's what I've always, every time I read the St. Patrick's breastplate, I'm like, if they're just, it's not, if they're just all prepositions, which is, which is great. It's just a, it's, it's it, it went above you. That was, er, touche, my friend. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to, th this is, you got the broader Niebuhr model, which is a little difficult to parse out. It's on a spectrum. There's kind of like two way over extremes and there's the middle. And then what we said, what Keller did is Keller sort of brought this down. And remember we're talking about the manner in which Christians engage with culture. And in order to know how, so let me make it really as simple as possible, reducing, you know, 10 weeks of discussions and dialogues. Um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out the reason why the Niebuhr uses the term Christ in culture, Christ above culture, Christ with culture, et cetera, is because we're trying to find out what is the nature of presence, if you will? Like, and then how do Christians sort of extend that, actualize it? How do we display it? How do we, uh, you know, do, do all those different verbiage things that we would do as we are trying to um, get the gospel out to other people? Like there's nobody in any of these constructions that would not say, like, it's not important for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? I mean, that is, that's a given in this model, all right? Um, people that, I mean, the, the only play, I mean, the model that we're talking about here. In the Niebuhr model, there is a, a, some groups that might not really have any sense of sharing the gospel. Those would be the isolationist ones. I mean, you could add a fifth one here that would be isolationism, 
But we just, Keller just doesn't even deal with that because it's just not a gospel-centered model of Christ, of, of the engagement of Christians with culture or, a, or a, a proper belief of Christ's engagement with culture throughout history, okay? So these are all, there's a gospel foundation in all of these. Now, that doesn't mean they're all, uh, that everyone who practitions it would be believers, but there's a, it's a paradigm that each one, that each one of these um, groups or individuals within these groups would be thinking, if you asked each one, why do you do this? And the answer would probably be, for many of them, at some place foundationally, because I want to see more people become Christians. Does that, does that make sense? Like, there, there's, there's not, like, none of these are heretical per se, all right? It, it's, it's, it's how they're engaged and interacted with that makes the, that, that we start to make the case about which one is a more accurate reading of Scripture, <laughs> are more accurately uh, depicted in Christ's ministry or whatever. And in fact, the small group uh, activity we're going to get to today will hopefully illustrate that each one of these has some degree of value or validity as we work through them. So the transformations, and, and it really just keep remembering these sort of foundational words um, that are in it. The transformationalist, and you've got, because you're going to have on each one of these views, you're going to have sort of right side and left side versions of these views. You're going to have progressive versions of these views and conservative versions of these views. None of these inherently are, you know, conservatively Christian or liberal Christian. They're each going to have practitioners that do different, that, that, that implement this philo these philosophies, these methodologies, if you will, in different ways. So for the transformationalists, you're going to have uh, the very different the theologies and practices. The foundational idea of transformationalism is that they are seeking to transform culture by living out the Christian worldview in their various vocations. Uh, by living out that view, what they mean is, is that being, doing, being good at their work, but also turning their sort of job into an evangelistic crusade, if you will, okay? Now, the evangelistic crusade may be the way that you and I would traditionally think about an evangelistic crusade. Like, I share Jesus every moment I get in my workplace. Every time somebody asks me a question, if I can turn that conversation towards spiritual things, um, I am trying to transform the environment I'm in by transforming the people that I'm, that I'm in as well. And the more I'm in that environment being a Christian, but also being vocal about my Christianity, like actually saying, hey, I do this well because of my Christianity or whatever. It's a very proactive version of this. The transformationalist and the two kingdoms person are kind of on just two different sides of the same basic coin. Both are viewing the way that we get our Christianity out into the world. The transformationalist thinks that Doing it in the world is the principal place that brings change. The two kingdom person thinks that doing it in the church is the principal place that brings change. So for the two kingdoms person, it's not that you have to go out into your workplace and take every opportunity to say, um, you know, well, I do this because uh, I believe that every human is of worth because we're all created in God's image. The two kingdoms person would just come out and go, I'm going to do my job really, really well. I'm going to be a faithful employee. I'm going to be, be a good steward of my talents, and I'm going to work hard. And, if, and if, 
Somebody comes and starts talking to me about spiritual things, I'm certainly not going to hide it, but I'm not going to turn my work into a platform for it. As a matter of fact, the only place that really brings lasting, effective change is the church. Because these work environments, while it's part of our calling in, 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 the, um, in, the great, um, in the cultural mandate to do work, while that's part of our calling, it's not that calling that actually you know, makes disciples. That's the great commission part. Those are the callings of the church and the people in the church, okay? So we'll see that more with the two kingdoms person in a moment. So the transformationalist person sees the secular work as an important kingdom activity. This is part of being in the kingdom is doing your secular work well. It's part, that, is, that is part of being in the kingdom of God, all right? They, are, uh, they uh, celebrate Christians' involvement in politics, economics, the arts, the media, and the academy. And they critique the notion that the secular public square is at all neutral. In other words, where all this debate and dialogue happens is not a neutral environment. It is either an environment that is pro the message of Christ or it's anti the message of Christ. It's one of the two, okay? And again, a two kingdoms person would agree with some of that, but what they would say is that, again, the work that you do out in the public sphere is not designed primarily to, be, to transform society because those societies are, in fact, those are the, um, those are the ephemeral. Those are the least long-lasting. The human soul is the thing that's eternal. So C.S. Lewis has a great quote, and we don't have time to go through the whole thing right now, but he says that he says the Christian and the humanist can only work together in a limited capacity because to the humanist, it is the building, the company, the, the school, the, the society that is eternal. You got to make that last as long as possible. The human life is the short thing. That's the thing that is a, is a flash in the pan. I mean, if you logically look at it, it's the institutions that are established that can have a long lasting effect on a society and a culture. If a humanist works their ideas out into a logical conclusion. In other words, the institution in some ways is much more important than the individual. Now, most humanists won't say that, but that's the logical extension of the idea. And Lewis says, the Christian can only work with the humanist to a limited capacity in that regard. Because to the Christian, the institution, the, uh, the building, the school, the corporation, that is the thing that is a flash in a pan. That's the thing that only lasts a short period of time. Because the human soul is immortal. That's the one that lasts for eternity. So all that must be sacrificed to reach the individual. That's kind of a two kingdoms idea. Does that make, does that make, does that make bring it into a little bit tighter perspective? All right. So real, then, then the relevant idea is this idea that the defining feature, this is Christ within the culture, that in Niebuhr's model. This is the defining feature of this group is the idea that God's spirit is in the world to do good. So you'll hear a lot of, th like you'll hear the word flourishing a lot in this environment. You'll hear... You know, the, Christ, the job of the Christian is to bring um, sort of, uh, suc not success, not, not, not meaning like richness, but bringing quality of life issues to people, um, dealing with so, a lot of social justice issues, equity and balance, right? That's, the, that's, part of, that's part of the job of the Christian, to bring sort of fairness and equity and justice to the world, because that's what God wants. And, and, and there's verses that certainly talk about that a lot. 
So the defining is that God's spirit is in the world to do good. The spirit of God. Now, that, that, now the relevantist would probably be a little fuzzy on what that God's spirit phrase means. Does that mean that's the work of the Holy Spirit? Or is that sort of the, just the omnipresent spirit of God? Is that the third person of the Trinity? Is it the first person of the Trinity? Or is it just a spiritualism? And, and the relevantist would probably be a little fuzzy as to which one it was, okay? Um, so Christians should join what he is doing. And in order to do that, you need to adapt to the new realities. It's not about finding an old way of life that seemed good because the, the relevantist will believe in sin because sin is the thing that that old society is, is really not good. This is uh, what we see a lot today when people talk about, you know, let's return to the good old. Remember in the 1950s and 60s, we did it this way. And, and all the young people are like, you know, racist. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to be, to, to be trite, and nor am I saying that they're necessarily wrong or that the older folks are necessarily wrong. But that's, what, that's, what, that's where you see some of that tension that comes in. They're like, man, the world just ran better back. There was better, there's more opportunity and you could pull yourself up. By, and then they talk, well, actually poverty was at a 37% level. And you know, it's a, that's not a true statistic. I just made that up. Um, so the, the, they, th that means that we need to adapt to new realities. It's not about bringing another cultural context back up. It's about how does God's spirit do good in the world now? What are the needs of the world now? Do you need to get married? Well, marriage is from God. So we need to start figuring that out. Who are you going to marry? Well, that's less important a question than your current uh, equity and goodness and the feeling uh, that you are being treated fairly. Well, that just changed the dialogue on what we actually believe about marriage. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how the relevance thing will start to really bend the way that you are starting to deal with the current issues and what is, what is God's spirit in the world for and those kind of things. So we need to learn from the culture better how to do this better. Because guess what? In God's common grace, there's lots of people that are doing this really well. Really? Yeah. God's spirit's in all the world. So of course people can engage in that. We should learn from them. Yes, Joby, go ahead. Not to be contentious, but... No, feel, feel free. <laughs> We're going to get to that in just a couple moments, okay? So just hold that thought. Hold that. I'm going to make you defend it biblically, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but as long, we, we got to go fast to get there. This leads people, people feel very optimistic about the secular culture, all right? And you're going to get people on the one side, on the, on the liberal side, you're going to get the Rob Bells, you know, who wrote Love Wins and all that stuff and did the NUMA videos back in the early 2000s. And these people are going to be very... Uh, Angie and I were just talking about this yesterday, actually sitting on the porch. These, these folks are going to be very priestly towards the world, right? And the three offices of the church, the prophet, priest, and king office, they're going to be very priestly to the world and be very prophetic, shouting truth, critiquing back to the church. They're going to be going, looking back at church and going, you're doing this wrong. This is the history of the church as a legacy of hegemony and oppression, right? And by the, not that the church doesn't need critiquing. I mean, if anything, the, the recent news of the Catholic scandal that's just popped up again tells us it does need critiquing, right? But there will be an imbalance of prophetic back to the church and priestly out to the world. And then you get, and then you get guys on the, on the other side of this, the conservative side of this, you get your Rick Warrens 
and Bill Hybels up at Willow Creek. They're going to be relevantists. And I think we can think of some churches that we know that, that, make, that throw out all the stops to find relevancy with the world, and then they try to come in behind it with what, quote-unquote, with the gospel, okay? Question is, is in throwing out all those stops, does the gospel itself end up becoming compromised, right? Next week, we're actually going to, we were going to do this week, we're not going to have time. Next week, as we wrap out, I'm actually going to play you guys some interviews for you to uh, uh, critique, okay? But we got to get there. So that's the relevantist one. The counterculturist one. This is long. We're not going to read the whole thing. Basically, the counterculturist is, is, it's like the hippie version of, you know, it's, it's basically finding the oppressive systems and sort of, you know, Christ, is, Christ was the ultimate rebel. You know, he pushed against all the hegemonies. You know what hegemony is, right? You guys know that word? Hegemony is just a fancy word that means the overlords, okay? Like, it just means if someone's, if, if, if you're in a hegemonic structure, it means that there is a, uh, a group that hold a small group normally that holds significant power and they wield it over others. It comes out of Marxist uh, power critiques. So all the way back to Karl Marx and then through Althusser and some other current theorists. But the idea is, is that a small group of people can hold power over others. And that's a hegemony, all right? You'll, you see that word more and more these days as all of our 80s and 90s uh, college, our, our graduates of college from the 90s when it became really de jour to teach Marxist power dynamics in, in, in those institutions. Um, they see the church as many, one of many groups. Culture can learn from, adapt to it, but it's a radically different organism. They want to challenge the powers of the day. Um, they want to, um, uh, they want to, uh, you know, um, basically the church gets into trouble when it gets in cahoots with the state. They're going to be really anti-moral majority, really anti-Jerry Falwell, both senior and junior, um, which that's, I don't know if we would necessarily, well, I am not going to make that statement on a hot mic. Uh, the, uh, just kidding. The, um, they, they see it, the, the church is to remain separate, and this one brings the prophetic voice back to the culture significantly. The church's job is to be prophetic against the culture, to bring the truth. It preserves the uniqueness of the church in many ways, but it also doesn't have a great plan for how to actually fix things because you're just kind of standing off to the side and being counter to everything. And if you've ever known anybody like that, they kind of can't stop being counter to everything, can they? they, they it's like, you know, they, they, they protest and protest and protest, and then, and then it changes and then, like, rather than settle down to a normal life, they go find the next. But now I got to protest against this thing over here. You know, it's it's almost more like this one fits in with a personality than it does with an actual philosophical system. But again, it's supportable from scripture. And we've got some. There's some. I mean, right now, guys like Shane Claver. There's some really significant folks that are involved in this as well. Um, and uh, Shane Claiborne um, and. Uh, um, Wallace, the guy who founded Sojourners, kind of, kind of, kind of uh, the Sojourner magazine. You might, anybody remember the Sojourner? Heard of Sojourner magazine? It's very uh, the Christian left is doing this, but they're turning that countercultural like back against the established church in a lot of ways. So there's all kinds of directions you can point this stuff. Okay, and finally we got two kingdoms framework, and that is that God rules creation in two different ways. He rules earthly or common kingdoms for all humans. 
and that's common grace and revelation, are the principal systems that he uses to rule those kingdoms. In other words, that those societies and structures can actually uh, make valid, good, relatively good decisions um, by just simple mechanisms of common grace insights. Now, the two kingdoms person would, would, would gladly say Romans 1 shows us that eventually over time, most of those institutions or organizations or countries or governments will eventually begin to trade in the common grace for self-pursuit and then begin the death spiral down, okay? But that's because they're in sin. And so God does not extend special grace to them except for through the means of where he, uh, where special grace is activated, which is in the church. So the natural revelation, he rules the heaven or redemptive kingdom only believers through saving grace and special revelation. In other words, you have more information and you have more grace than a non-believer does because a non-believer rejects special revelation and rejects special grace. So they don't, it's not like they get this access to it because they reject it, okay? So we are called to do our work well, but we are doing it for the common good, not because that those folks that are out there that don't, aren't Christians are, um, are going to all of a sudden go, hey, you do your work well, I should become a Christian. No, they need special grace. They need special revelation in order to do that. If, if somebody opens the door for you to do it, then you, to talk about that, then you talk about it. Remember, we were talking about this just a minute ago with transformationalists. Then you talk about it. But the only place that it is consistently accessed in the world is the place that God has put as the seat of that kingdom. Not the secular kingdom, but the kingdom of salvation. And the seat of that kingdom is the church. And so that's the place where that grace and that revelation is, is housed, if you will, all right? Not housed in a Catholic sense of like the authority is in the church, but in the people, in the body of Christ, not the building by any stretch, okay? The distinctive, uh, the only truly redemptive work there is revolves around the word and the sacraments. This is called ordinary means of grace. So in other words, the more the church gets involved in special projects, the more they're away from the ordinary means of grace, okay? Now, we're going to look at this one sec. I told you that I would give you, we'll, we'll go to that later. I told you that I would give you this white, I couldn't get the change. Two words that would help you remember and understand each one of these. So here's two words. I will read them out for you because they're this. It was on PowerPoint. They were like more of an. They were like they weren't white. I don't remember what they were, but you could see them when I did this in PowerPoint. When I transferred it to Google, it's like Google doesn't have that color, so they just put it in white. So there's two different words that you can do that will help you remember these complex topics, these to complex positions. These aren't mine. I took them from a guy who wrote a paper, and I don't have his name written down right now. And Ed, I'll actually probably, since we're doing a podcast version of this, I'll probably find it and send it to you so you can link it in the, in the notes. Because I thought this, this guy's little thing, it may not have been his originally either, but this was, I thought this was a great way to remember it. So for the transformationalists, you got two words that will help us describe um, each one of, uh, of these positions. The first one is the Christian. The second one is the culture, okay? 
So for the transformationalists, you're thinking about sending Christians into the culture almost as missionaries in order to start to bend the culture to a right, more, a, 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 more, um, a more cohesive relationship with scriptural values and norms, okay? You're sending people into the culture. In other words, the church is almost like a missions agency to send people into the culture to evangelize, all right? So send and bend. Send people in and bend the culture to, the, to scriptural norms and values. For the relevantists, he's taught you, you do, it's trend and bend. You want to follow the trends of, the Christian follows the trends of culture in order to bend themselves more to the will of God, to reach more people, to have more, because they believe God's spirit resides in the culture, okay? Remember, it's, just, it's a significantly different starting point. So they want to, they want that, and they want the culture to bend more to God's will, but they think it's a give and take. It's kind of a 50-50 relationship, you know what I mean? We can learn from it, they can learn from us, and we're going to keep moving in the right direction all together. It's a, and, and they would, they would talk about the leavening influence, salt and light a little bit. That's, they would, they would talk, they would use some of those areas to, to try to, to try to defend it. The counterculturalists, rend and fend. I love that one, rend. They want to tear the church sort of out of the world in order so that they can fend off the, 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 sin in, the sin in the world. Now, that sin will be classified in a lot of different ways. But what they're trying to do is the church needs to run counter to the culture. It needs to be a prophetic voice into it because the, the world is full of sin. Unfortunately, on the left side, they would say that it's the Christians that are actually making the mistakes in culture and not representing the Bible well there. On the, on the conservative countercultural side, it becomes close to the isolationist model where you're standing out and you're preaching against the culture all the time. Okay? We want to fend off the, the positive culture of the church from the sinful culture of the world and hopefully also use that to change that culture a little bit more. And in the two kingdoms culture, it's mend and lend. Mend and lend. That we need to mend the culture by our good works and good deeds. And we are lending a hand to them so that there is a leavening influence of the gospel. But there's no discussion that like culture should be saved or redeeming the city, or redeeming the culture, okay? People in it should be, but the culture itself is just is a construct to the two kingdoms, folks. And that constructs come and go. Why would I spend time on a construct? I wanna, I wanna talk about people's lives and souls, right? That's where the two kingdom person will fall down a little bit, all right? So those are the, those are the, those are the words, and I'll put those back up in a second so you can see them. But here's what I want you to do. We've got, it's, it's 1028, so if we can take seven minutes to 1035, this is what I want you to do. Um, if you gotta leave, you gotta leave, it's cool. I'm not gonna divide you up, just divide up with people around you. What I want you to do is look at Matthew 6, 5 through 14, Lord's Prayer. All four of these positions can be defended from the Lord's Prayer. So, see if you can do it. And you gotta talk in order to do it. You can't do it quietly. It's not possible. All right? So we, for each one of these, I'm not going to tell you, any, I'm not even giving you an example. The transformationalist, the relevantist, the counterculturalist, and the two kingdoms person, each one of these actually 
would, could take a verse out of here and work to apply it to their position, okay? So I'm going to leave it up here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is added on later. We, we put that on more than it's not in Matthew. All right? See if you can do it. So real quick, we got to get out of here because it's time. Let me just give you a couple of the way that this has been dissected. Um, for the transformationalist, it, it, it could be um, that uh, it could be uh, your will be done. But for the transformationalist, it's more your kingdom come. What the transformationalist wants is God's kingdom to come quickly and so they're still evangelistic. What they want is the leavening influence of Christianity to permeate the culture. Not that that culture is going to get gradually better and better until we get to a new heavens and a new earth, all right? It's not a, that's, that's the eschatological component. I mean, because there's a real component about the end times in each one of these, by the way. Sure. I haven't had time to go into it by any stretch, but as you study what you believe about the end times, for the relevance person, they would, they would cling more towards the, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, saying that they don't see the process part so much so as they see that, the, that in, in this world around us, God's spirit and, and the spirit of the world will be aligned with one another. Okay. Now, there's a part of transformationalism that's in the relevancy model, right? Because it's not just, you know, you want, they want the culture to change. But the, the relevance person also believes that they can sense the will of God in the culture as well and pull it back out. Um, for the counterculturalist, they would, they would cling to the ideas about sin and temptation. Do not lead us not into temptation. Keep us apart from this. What do we do with it? Follow that out just one step theologically. And it's how, do we, how, do we, how are we not led into temptation? What are we supposed to do when we encounter temptation as believers? Flee. Flee it. Not resisted, right? The counterculturalist would be very much about keep that away from us, okay? Speak against it, preach against it, make sure that it's pushed away. And finally, the two kingdoms person would would get to give us this day our daily bread. They'd go do good. They wouldn't say don't do good, Mac. The two kingdoms person. They would say though that doing good is more, is more relevant to your work, your job and the things that you are called to do in this life as you bring people to the church, not necessarily extending the church out into the world. That's why, here's where I heard the last statement for today, it's fun to examine Briarwood's position.